Maple Leafs seven game win streak comes to an end as they fall to the Knights by a score of five to two. Yeah, we just weren't at our best. Um, we were playing smart with the puck. Didn't have enough shots either and, and kind of crashing that. That's how we kind of capitalized uh, in Vegas and uh, we didn't do that. You know, we, we actually had a decent start and kind of dipped a little bit from there and they kind of capitalized and um, we can get our momentum back. Yeah, I thought they did a good job, obviously. thought we had a good start and then we just kind of got away from our game, I think. Uh, and I mean, they were opportunistic and they took advantage of their chances. We've obviously been playing some good hockey, put a really good stretch together and we want to get right back out. Obviously disappointing tonight, so regroup here and get excited about our next challenge and, and getting back to uh, the way we've been playing and continue to push for more. So obviously not a great feeling uh, now and certainly as we leave the rink tonight, a uh, great chance to regroup and respond. The winning streak is over. All the fun <laughs> has been taken out of the city of Toronto now. All the Raptors are on a winning streak. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi here with you on the Fan Morning Show. And the Leafs lose 6-2 last night to the Vegas Golden Knights. Good start. A much better start than I think we both had expected coming back home. And... All for naught because that second period and the third period wasn't much better, mm-hmm. but the second period kind of, I don't want to call it a collapse because for the better part of the period, they had only given up two goals <laughs> and they had scored one late and you're going, okay, hold on a second. Yeah. And then uh, the captain, John Tavares, an egregious defensive mistake, something that you get taught from minor hockey. Don't play the puck on your backhand in your own zone. And guess what? Not only did he play it on his backhand, he put it right on Jonathan Marshall's stick. And uh, that was kind of the turning point in that game um, because there is there is one thing that you are, I mean, aside from being taught, don't play the puck on your backhand in your own zone. There's one thing that coaches always stress. And it's something that I stressed when I was coaching. It's something that was stressed to me as a player. You don't get scored on in the first or last minute of a period because that can be so deflating mm-hmm. both ways. And in the case last night, that was that was really the turning point in the game. You were in the building yep. last night. What was your reaction when you see this play unfolding with John Tavares with multiple avenues to release and then he doesn't, puts it right back up the boards and from which he came with two guys on him. And that was kind of the the end of the game there for them. Matty, it felt like a microcosm for his entire evening because he he really struggled. And I will say, being in the building and having the opportunity to watch the team in person, he's slower in person. Like He looks really slow, So like like what you're saying is normally the camera adds 10 pounds. For John Tavares, it adds 10 miles an hour or something? Yes. It it actually does him justice in terms of his speed. He looks quicker when you're watching on television versus in person. Or maybe it was an outlier in the sense that last night uh, it was was exaggerated uh, even further. But he, he looked... Yeah, he looked really, really slow, uh, lethargic, and struggled to find any momentum or rhythm. Ends up, I think he finished with like fourteen forty-five ish in ice time, and for good reason because he was not very good uh, throughout the entire the entirety of that hockey game. There was a ninety-second stretch for me that I thought really determined that entire game, and it was the last minute thirty of the second period. They they had a very like like you mentioned off the top there they come out 
I think started better than than we expected because we hit on it yesterday a little bit and and teased that we anticipated maybe maybe they're gonna have a little bit of a hangover after winning seven in a row, uh, going four and zero on their Western Conference road trip. Sure enough, they come out, they they look okay. They generate the first five shots on goal. They're all they're all Maple Leafs. And then from that point forward, it was like they they flipped a switch and were a completely different team. But the last ninety seconds of that of the second were crucial in that was like a major inflection point in the game because Tyler Bertuzzi scores to make it two to one. They finally catch a break, right? It was it was even a, a cheap goal in the sense of Yeah, he was just trying to throw yeah. it on the net and it gets deflected and, by the defensive. And skate. how novel a concept is that? Sometimes if you just throw a puck on net, it works. Like they were trying to be too cute at times in that second well, period. Especially on that power the oh, one, my the one goodness. power play that they had in the second was I'm just watching, and they're like, "Okay, are, how many times are, are we gonna go? Puck? Yeah, are, how many times are we gonna do this?" And I'm not, and I'm not one of those people that would ever attend a game and yell "shoot" because that's the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. <laughs> like that the is, whole building was. Yeah, <laughs> that is almost as dumb as people saying "we." But anyway, that's a different story. But point being, they they got a, they got away from what made them successful. They didn't, when their power play was clicking over this winning streak, they didn't do that kind of stuff. They took their chances when they were there yesterday. It was just like, Oh, Matthews hasn't scored you yeah. know, in a, in, in a yeah. game or two. Oh boy. We got to get him the puck. No, 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 it's fine. And they're moving him around on the power play. And I get that like that, that all that stuff strategically I'm fine with it's, it's, you know, executing, on the strategy, which is you still have to shoot the puck on the power play. And that was definitely an issue on that one specifically in the second period. That was their lone power play of the night, by the way, as well. So they go for one on the, on the power play. Um, and yeah, felt like they were trying to be too cute overpassing. Nevertheless, they, they come away with a goal in the final 90 ish seconds. Thanks to Bertuzzi. And what ensued from then on is where I feel like the game was lost. Sheldon Keefe responds, team scores a goal. He responds immediately by throwing his fourth line on the ice. Now, mind you, Ryan Reeves had a decent little game. Camp had a decent game. The elite scoring Ryan Reeves. I, right. Like, oh, I mean, Great they, finish. they were going to really capitalize on that momentum, but no, fair enough. Okay. They go, they, they get the first shift and it's totally fine, but I guess it's all with the intention of loading up a line that included Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and John Tavares. And his, I guess, rationale at that point is, okay, we've maybe seized a little bit of momentum. Let's see if we can really pounce here. And it ends up backfiring in a big way because on that shift, we have John Tavares committing an egregious turnover that results in the 3-1 goal. And from that point, now instead of going into the locker room, into the intermission, down 2-1 to one, with some momentum, all of that is completely it's evaporated. Gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. And so in that moment, I was sitting there and Jeff has a party, our producer, we were together and I just, I, I, I was, I was um, really confused. I thought I was, I was, I thought that was a very confounding decision by Sheldon Keefe because to me it was a, it was a scenario where he really tried to overthink things and didn't need to just, just, and also don't try to be so cute and throw your fourth line out there and then load up and say, oh, see, now this is the power of having all these core guys and we can load up occasionally. Who cares, man? Like your team hadn't played well up until that point for the most part. Just get into the break, get into the room, regroup. It's a one goal game and you're in the, in the hockey game. But instead they cough up a crucial three, one goal. And that was 
really where I thought the game was lost. See, the, and the thing about all of that is, is that John Tavares is supposed to be the one of those three guys that is most offensively responsible. Yeah. In a sense, like over the, over the course of his career, for sure. albeit you can say Mitch Marner is the better defensive forward. And Austin Matthews has certainly improved in that regard. He's, he's become a much better defensively responsible center, but John Tavares makes a mistake that you just should not make. Oh, that was just an equipment issue. I'm physically, I'm great. <laughs> yeah. His whole night was an equipment issue. I don't know about that, John. Like, I, I just... But also, as a coach, you got to be able to uh, have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with your team. And he had, sometimes, he didn't have a good night yeah, up until that point yeah, either. Sometimes, so what was the point? Sometimes, and I'm not, I don't mean to defend Sheldon Keefe on this, because it ended up being the guy that you replaced on that line was the guy that ended up making the critical error. Yeah. I, I do yeah. think, and you know this because you coach... Sometimes you just make a gut call and you think it's the right decision sure. in the moment. And it's it's maybe not as much about overthinking as it is. I'm just taking a shot here because trying to capitalize on the momentum of just scoring too. That I think now having if you're doing that, you probably should have that line follow the line that had just scored. Mm-hmm. Even if they were just out on the ice, which if I'm not mistaken, they were just on the ice. And that's why the fourth line went out. And not, you know, Mar- I think Marner and Matthews were on the ice before that Bertuzzi goal. And that's probably why, just to give him a little bit of an extra breather. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it's like, well, you're going to go into the third period anyway. So do they need that much of a breather? I, just, I think there's some overthinking, but I also think it's like, I just have a feel here. Yeah. And, and I've had success when I've done this before. So let me try this. I just thought the timing of it in terms of, they should have gone out right away after the goal, if that's what you were thinking. That, to me, is where things change. The other thing, too, about last night, and and we're going to talk with uh, Carter Hutton, former NHL goaltender, um, in the 8 o'clock hour. And I wanted to get his take on this. I think a lot of people will be critical of Ilya Samsonov last night. And I think for the wrong reasons. People will look at, I mean, the breakaway goal is a breakaway goal. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's mm-hmm. It's not even 50-50. I mean, usually it's in the favor of the goaltender because generally that's how it works. But in in essence, it's kind of 50-50. When you look at the second goal, the tip, where there's nobody oh. in sight, uh, Max Domi being the culprit of this one, that one I'm not putting on Ilya Samsonov. Even the third goal, I put a little bit on Samsonov because A, the play shouldn't have happened, but B, people will look at it, and this is the and this is the error that he makes. He slides out and goes down in his butterfly, and as he's going down in his butterfly, his stick is not far enough ahead of his pads, something that you learn in goalie school. I shot at a goalie school for a long time. Shout out McGuire goaltending Um, (laughs) because they're awesome there. And as he's going down in the butterfly, his pads almost work like a trampoline for his stick. As he's going up, he's going down, the stick hits the pad, bounces up, five hole is exposed, and that's what happened. But again, they never should have been in that position. John Tavares had Austin Matthews near the side of the net. He had TJ Brody right there and Morgan Riley. I guess he was playing wing because John Tavares had dropped down and he was on the opposite side. He's not even in the screen when you're watching it. Mm -hmm. And then when you play through the goal, he eventually comes back. Anyway, point being, I'm not putting that loss on Ilya Samsonov. However, 
He, on the other hand, had something else to say <laughs> about how he was playing last night. And this is where goalies can sometimes get in their heads. Yeah, it's a little hyperbolic. I got to be honest. Yeah. And I'm curious uh, to hear it. But yeah. yeah, it seems a little hyperbolic. Here's Ilya Samson on post game last night. We lost two points today. Yeah. Um, it's hard lost for us, especially for me. Just tomorrow, new day. I don't know. You know, like, um, so, so mad if we lost some points like that. These guys more want to win today, and uh, you know, like these guys come to the come to the net, good scream, good tip it, rebounds. That's, that's what's different. I'm not angry. I'm just uh, you know, like I just want to get rest for today. Day is over. You know, like so I need to be angry on ice, not in the locker room. Hmm. I need to be angry on the ice and not in the locker room. Like even the even when we look at the fourth goal last night. They're, the defensive coverage was just. I know. The puck hits the both yeah. posts, bounces out, oh, somehow so. ends up on Marcia So's stick, and you're just like, okay, uh, anybody care to no, go go get the puck, like yeah, go, or or get a body the, the, at that point. The most concerning thing for me defensively last night, and this is something that they hadn't done a lot of, or at least they were the teams didn't capitalize on it. But I, I I would feel it's the the former and not the latter. Mm-hmm. There was so much puck watching last night. On the on the Barbashev goal, everybody is looking at the front of the net and nobody sees Barbashev leak on his own. That's not the first time that we have seen this defense lose a guy behind them. It's actually happened a lot over the course of the last month. On the Morelli goal, Max Domi doesn't know who he's looking for. There's two defensemen in front of Morelli yep. and Max Domi's looking for a guy. Or he's not looking for a guy, actually. That's what happened. <clears throat> and then the the Marcheseau goal is the same thing. There's everybody's, nobody's grabbing mm-hmm. a guy. And so that, to me, was very concerning. And that's why I put less stock into what I saw from Ilya Samsonov yesterday and more stock in what I saw in the defensive performance as a whole. I would agree with that. And I also don't think, well, actually... I think for a large stretch of the game, part of the reason they were it was you know one nothing or even two nothing, is because Samsonov was good. Like Samsonov yeah. made a lot of quality saves, and yeah. there was a point where you you had the you know the the in full throat the entire crowd chanting Sammy Sammy Sammy, which was great. But yeah, he was he was going trading blow for blow in terms of making uh, impressive saves with Aiden Hill on the other end of the ice who had himself quite the game. Yeah, he was, he he was, a, lot be- he was a lot better oh, he was than he was better. last time we saw And I'm him. sure he was motivated to have a good game, obviously, because he got pulled by... Well, he's a it, former it, Leaf, right? <laughs> Come on. Don't send drunk texts to the fan text line. But he rebounded nicely after, you know, being uh, pulled in, in his previous outing against Toronto just five days earlier. Um... I thought Samsonov overall was fine. I know everybody's pointing to that third goal and you just went over it. I appreciate your analysis because I think it, it's very it's it's good to understand the why mm-hmm. as to as to how that happened and and what exactly went on during that entire sequence. But beyond that, I'm like I can't really fault him for any of the other goals, you know? No. And like whatever, the sixth one is it but, is but what it six, is at that point. One, I, even Ilya Samsonov was like, just leave me no, out it, at this exactly. point. Like, like, like <laughs> whatever. Don't me back in there. But the four that were actually uh, contributing to the result, um, yeah, the third one you want to poke holes at, you want to you maybe crit- critique that one a little bit, sure. But 
overall, I thought the reason they were even in the game for for the majority of the first couple periods is because of how he performed. And without him, that felt like it could have been a, a game that got away from them a lot sooner because they went from being dominant in the first six minutes of the opening period to then being outshot 10 to four the rest of the period in that, in that first 20 minutes. And then the second period wasn't much different and and they didn't look very good from that point. And they completely lacked any sort of defensive posture, Mm -hmm. which is weird because that's been something that we've been encouraged by over the last couple weeks. Yep. And it completely disappeared the Morelli goal, like that was completely inexcusable to me. The fact that there's a guy standing right in front of your goaltender. Like, what do you want him to do in that situation? Yeah. Right. What do you want from him? You get somebody, get in there and shove him out of the way, get a stick in the way, do something. And, and he was just able to park himself right in front of Ilya Samsonov, uh, be an obstruction and then obviously get a tip. So I don't know. I thought overall he was fine and maybe he's being harsher than what, uh, than, than what he the actual performance suggests uh, in terms of his quality of play. Uh, you know, the other the other thing that reared its ugly head last night was, okay, so Timothy Lilligren out of the lineup, Mark Giordano comes back in. So the thought process is, okay, maybe we give this Morgan Riley and TJ Brody pair another try, but hey, let's change things up and have Morgan Riley play the right side instead of TJ Brody. Yeah. Again, bad call. Ridiculous. Um <laughs> Morgan Riley was a dash four last night. He was a dash three with TJ Brody on the ice Mm -hmm. when they were together. And is that all on Morgan Riley? Is it all on TJ Brody? No, there's equal blame to go around. But having said that, we're done with this pair now, right? Like we, we are done seeing these two guys play together the rest of the season outside of a, a nuclear war. We're not seeing these guys play together anymore because it just doesn't work. It worked at the beginning mm-hmm. of the tenure, especially, you know, that first little bit where Riley and Brody played together. They were a very good pair, but we can't do this anymore. No, it's uh, it goes back to something that we've discussed um, endlessly over the last week or so in saying that they got to find a solution on that blue line and and. and find somebody that can play alongside Morgan Riley. That is, that is of the utmost importance. Also, it reinforces like last night's the second time this season where they've been forced to play with six left shot D because of injuries or availability of other players, of course. And this one being Lilligren, Connor Timmons is the other right-handed option and he's, he's under the weather or he's hurt, whatever he's been sidelined. He's got mono and the kissing disease. Yes. Keep, Um, Keep your lips to yourself. And so, as such, they were in a position where they had to dress 6D and all were left-shot defensemen, and they tried to get creative and say, okay, well, we know TJ Brody doesn't like playing on his offside, and that's become a, a narrative. So let's see if Morgan Riley will be capable of doing it, and it did not work. Uh, I'm with you, Maddie. I think I think we've got to say, all right, this is, this is the end of that experiment of those two guys playing together. Keep them as far away from each other as possible, and, and priority number one, for Bradtree Living, watching a game like that last night needs to be, all right, I got to find somebody. And it doesn't need to be the sexiest name. It's got to be somebody that can we can pencil in alongside number 44 that will complement him well enough uh, and enable him to do what he does well, which is be aggressive, be a puck-moving guy, um, and play his game. But he and Brody, just, it just it's not there. The, there's the chemistry, the synergy that once existed – it's dissipated and it's not coming back. I don't think it is. I think it's gone. So I had this 
thought, okay, so firstly, the moral of this story is, and you talk about the least dressing six defensemen, um, parents, make sure your kids shoot right-handed and they're defensemen. Yes. Boys yes. and girls, make sure. I've been trying to teach my daughter how to shoot right-handed for the last six months. <laughs> and, how, and how old is your daughter? 18 months. Wow, there we go. I told her, I, I keep telling her, listen, kid, your ticket out of here is a scholarship. And hopefully you're smarter than your mom and dad, and then you may be able to get it for that reason. <laughs> but pray that you're a good hockey player. That also helps too. Yeah. Um, here's and here, be a right shot and be right yeah. just right handed. I try and teach you to do a lot of things right handed. Anybody in here? Anybody on this broadcast right now left handed in any sense? And I'm talking about like, do you write left handed? Okay. No. Okay. So no. yeah, that's weird. No. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Just throwing left-handed people under the bus this morning. Um, here's the other thing that kind of worries me about the narrative surrounding Morgan Riley. Does it feel like he's getting into whipping boy territory here? No, I don't think so. Personally, I don't. I, I know I, you threw this out there a little bit, but I, I, feel I don't see like, I feel like people are starting to turn on Morgan Riley. <sighs> and the reason is because the team went on a five-game winning streak when he was not in the lineup because he was suspended, even though part of the reason why they went on the winning streak was because he cross-checked the guy He's in the responsible head. for yeah. it. But on the ice, defense, like... This feel and it's you're too young for this, but the the other one that is relatable. So the Larry Murphy one was the first one that I remember. Larry Murphy's a Hall of Fame defenseman, mm-hmm. and people in this city hated him. And then he went to Detroit and won Stanley Cups. The same thing happened with Jake Gardner. Yep. Now Jake Gardner was more defensively inept than Morgan Riley. <laughs> that that I can <laughs> take that to my grave. But it does feel like this discourse surrounding Morgan Riley is that he is an inept defenseman. He's only good at one end of the ice. And I see that a lot, whether it's in my timeline, whether it's on the text line. I just feel like, you know, it's starting to turn on him that he's getting into the whipping boy territory. Because it's usually a defenseman that gets it. It in is this usually, city. yes. And it yes. does feel like Morgan Riley is getting some of that wrath. Now... If you really look at this, you know, take a deep dive into Morgan Riley. He's not a number one defenseman. And if you if you think that he's a number one defenseman, that's the first problem with your argument. He's a number two. The second thing is, is that this organization needs to find a playing partner for him. And that's something that you and I have talked about this week and last week. It's got to be someone who is defensively responsible because, and it's not because Morgan Riley can't be, mm-hmm. it's that Morgan Riley is most effective when he can go up and down the ice without having to worry about what's behind him. Okay. Now that's also on the forwards as well for picking up some of that defensive slack. Sure. Okay. Sure. So like, so I, I think this narrative surrounding Morgan Riley is getting dangerously close to this guy's no good, which is, so stupid, but people will take that because they think that that's the right way to go. I just look at this and say, Morgan Riley, you will see the best of him when he has someone that plays basically opposite to what he does. Yes. And that is somebody that's the antithesis of, of his game. 100%, which is what makes really good combos work for sure. Do you know? Okay. This is going to sound like I'm comparing Morgan Riley to Kale McCarb. I'm not because Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the NHL. Yep. But Kale McCarr also plays with a guy who's really, really good defensively in mm-hmm. Devon Taves. Like both of those guys are going to play for Team Canada. Okay. And nobody would have said that about Devon Taves four years ago. 
It's a good point. That is that's that's a really good they point. They may they <laughs> may have they may have slotted him in as like the number seven defenseman, but not top pairing defenseman like no, no, he that, is with Kale McCarr. It, and yes, because a there's a built in chemistry there, so it's an easy it's sure an easy easy selection. But that but and you could place him alongside a guy exactly. that he plays with all the time. But that's what I'm saying. So it, it is funny that you don't see that. And not because you don't believe that it's the case, but I feel like my timeline is just flooded with Morgan Riley hate right now. And it's getting dangerously close to let's ship this guy out of town because he's not good enough, which is so foolish. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't see it the same way. Um, and I don't think I've seen the same discourse on, on my timeline at the very least. That being said, uh, I totally agree that, Inevitably, somebody's going to be a whipping boy, and it's going to be a, uh, an individual on the blue line because it it always happens to be a defenseman, as you alluded to. Because if you notice defensemen, that's generally not a good thing, that, and that is the biggest. Problem. You can been, hide, you can hide wingers, you can't hide centermen. You can hide wingers, you cannot hide bad defensemen. Whether it's been most recently Justin Hall or Jake Gardner before him, uh, I think Justin Hall's was warranted. But anyway, well, I'm just saying, like those, <laughs> I are, I, I'm just saying, right? Like those are the, those are prominent examples from recent vintage for the Toronto Maple Leafs of guys that have been kind of chased out of the city, um, whether it is completely with merit or not, but they were the victim of being cast away as the this not scapegoats, but as as the whipping boy of the Toronto Maple Leafs for their tenure and throughout their tenure with the club. I I think I'm 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 in full agreement that Morgan Riley is a guy that is best served as a like number two defenseman. With a with no. a solid and the thing is you don't you don't necessarily need a number one to win a Stanley Cup, but if you don't, you better have better defensemen than the Leafs do right now. Yes. Yes, that's fair. I think the the totality of your blue line, like all the pieces collectively, mm-hmm. if you if Morgan Riley, let's say Morgan Riley is your most talented defenseman, he's your quote unquote best defenseman. Your the the rest of your blue line better better be very very competent and strong to supplement some of the flaws that he has. Yes. And if that's the case, by all means, because I then I think it is possible. But if it's not a scenario, like if we're if we're seeing a William Logason out there, <laughs> all due respect to him, but if it's William Logason and it's Simone Benoit, who I, I really do like, but if it's those kind of players that you are banking on year in and year out, come having finding those gems that can be productive and competent options for you on the blue line, serviceable pieces, then it's a problem. And you probably need to have at least a couple real good studs at the top of your blue line to supplement and offset those guys that are going to be your five, six, seven. If it's a more well-rounded group, you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And I, I I do think if we were talking about this conversation would not be exclusive to the Toronto Maple Leafs. If Morgan Riley was on a really good team like Vegas, if he was on a really good team um, in uh, who else is really good? Like Colorado, Colorado, Winnipeg, whoever, Vancouver, this would not be a conversation that is just exclusive because he's wearing the blue and white. I think it would be a conversation no matter where he is and where he travels. If he were being labeled as the number one guy, there would be questions about his ability to lead a blue line mm-hmm. to a Stanley Cup. Yeah. And I think it's warranted. And we've had those conversations for years now. And year in and year out, it's kind of been proven that not necessarily that they, he can't 
do it or that they haven't been able to have success in the playoffs. But what has been proven is that they've been searching routinely every single year for that answer, that, that, that to fill in that blank space beside him and find somebody that really compliments him. It's still a problem right now because they had a guy in Luke Shen that really fulfilled that role nicely. And obviously they were unable to retain him because he sort of outpriced him himself from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they're going to need to find an answer to that question before next Friday. If they want to do anything meaningful in the playoffs, people will also forget. And th- and this goes to that Luke Shen conversation. People will also forget how good Morgan Riley was, especially in that first round against Tampa Bay. Yeah, he was good. He was the best. He yeah. was the best defenseman in the series, with Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev playing in that same series. Sergachev was a heck of a player too, by the way. Yeah, God, he's good. So, like, he was the best defenseman, and and we forget that. And again, this is not saying he's a one because I don't, I do not believe that he's a one, but he can be very effective with the right personnel grouping on the ice with him, yep. and specifically the defenseman that's with him. Um, we're gonna take a break. We got more Leafs talk coming up. Uh, we'll talk about them in over the course of the next couple hours. Um, I do want to get to the home away splits with the Toronto Maple Leafs because oh, it is one of the most fascinating yeah. things that I've seen. It's weird that a team that could have that kind of a record could struggle as much as they do at home. Maybe it's because the fans aren't loud enough. Ah, uh, yeah, late arriving, but they were still loud and engaged. I will say, I got to defend the fan base a little bit. Yeah, late oh. arriving crowd, but energy was still there. For the most part, uh, they tried giving it a lift. I, I will. I, yeah, I, I was show, actually I was pleasantly surprised. They, I thought it was going to be worse. They even show up late um, for playoff games. Oh, which yeah. is amazing. Oh, yeah. Anyway, this is not a moment. Se- well, this is se- not a yeah. moment for me to just 7 p.m. Move. Puck drop doesn't help. Uh, doesn't help anybody when you're living and working in this city because that's that's tough. Weather oh. sucked yesterday. It's tough. See, I'm going to defend them. It sucked this morning driving in. I'll tell you that much Did for it? free. It was pouring up at my place. Ah. My wife's like, she rolls over all drugs. She goes, make sure you grab an umbrella. It's pouring. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a thunderstorm up there. <laughs> Yeah, I live That's in great. I live in the boonies. Yes. Uh, okay, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, NFL talk. The off season is here, and it is very interesting. And we have some additional notes on our conversation for, with Jim Monos yesterday, uh, from yesterday, uh, regarding the Vikings and trading Justin Jefferson. <laughs> it was just as nuts as we thought. Uh, Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. You're listening to the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Cult of Personnel. I mean, the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi here with you. Text line blowing up. 590-590. Name and location. You guys are doing it again. Just thinking, CM Punk made Living Color a lot of money. Probably, yeah. <laughs> right? And not the TV show in Living Color. That's right. Have you? The band. Yeah. Um, I Speaking of in Living Color, the show... I mean, I think Jeff Azapart is probably the only one that's going to get this reference because he's old enough to get it. Although, Josh, you may get this reference. 
Daniel Jones, to me, every time I see a picture taken of Daniel Jones or I see him on camera, he looks like Jim Carrey in living color trying to do facial impressions. Yeah, it's way over my head, man. Yeah. Way over yeah. my head. Hopefully some of the audience will Beyond my that. depth, man. Yeah. How's your Costanza wallet, by the way? It's good. It's doing okay. Still, yeah, it's great. For those that don't, like, we talked about this yesterday. Danielli's wallet is the... It's the biggest wallet I've ever seen. And <laughs> and, and my dad had a big wallet, too. I used to carry this around is a like, thicker wallet, too. How? Oh, yeah. I like, do to... you carry it in a backpack? You have well, to. Well, it is in my bag at the moment. Um, <laughs> That's your weight training. But I used to have a more traditional... Like, this one's got three flaps and everything. I, the How many... First one I ever owned was a regular old-school kind of wallet, just open, you know. With the Velcro? Folded. No, no, no. <laughs> just fold it. Like, really old... Like. A lot of the Italians, you'll see a lot of the Italians have the the traditional wallet, whatever, and mine was just completely packed to the point where eventually it started to wear down, all the wear and tear added up, and I had to get a new one, and now I have the one that goes like three, there's three different compartments Okay, so here's my question. Do you throw any of the cards that you have that are not in use anymore out? Like yes, do you, yes. Do you, do you have? Like, I feel like you have student cards from university. In that there. yes, that still is there. Why? But I do. I do throw nostalgia. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe some of it is nostalgia. Put it in yeah. a box. No. <laughs> no, I'd rather carry it. Yeah, around. it's in my wall. It's not going anywhere. It's. I know where it is. I'll keep it there. Danielli's gonna be eighty. Danielli is gonna live a long and prosperous life. And at his funeral, they're going to lay out all the cards on the table. And it's literally going to take up like an Italian sized dinner table, like Christmas Eve. It'll dinner tell the table. story of my life. It's the story of this yeah. is the story of your life. You go. It's all right there. <laughs> Everything. My employee card from this place. Oh, all man. my, all my, uh, my, any credit cards I've ever owned, any debit cards a- I've owned, any, as any gift you, cards. You have credit cards that have expired that are in your There's wallet. There's one that has expired that's in my wallet. Yes. Danielle, we need, you need There's an, one in there that's buddy, expired. You, yeah. you need an intervention like Christopher Maltesanti. <laughs> Jeez. That's a Sopranos reference. I started watching it again yesterday. Yeah, you way. can't go wrong. It's just it's, it's timeless and classic. It's good stuff. Okay. Uh, speaking of good stuff, the NFL offseason is good stuff. And speaking of good stuff, Brandon Bean is still, to me, he's, he's a guy that I love listening to because he kind of just tells you like it is and... Not that he's, you know, off the cuff all the time, but this one yesterday talking about the price <laughs> that he paid to get Josh Allen is unbelievable. Here's here's Bill's GM, John, Brandon I'm not going to be here anyway. I mean, we got criticized a little bit for how much we gave up for Josh, and I'm like, well, if he doesn't work out, I'm not going to be here anyway, and if he does work out, nobody's going to give a He's the best. That's correct. He's the best. That's great. I, I love him. I, I think that I think Brandon Bean is fantastic. And when he's done with that team, albeit they haven't won, but there were a lot of doubters that when they drafted Josh Allen and traded up to get him, I remember them trading up. And I I remember hearing the rumblings about Josh Allen to Buffalo, but I also remember hearing the rumblings of of um Josh Rosen to the Bills. And luckily how, it wasn't Josh Rosen. Maddie. Yes, because Josh Rosen proved to be, well, nobody. Um, by the way, speaking of Josh Rosen, did you see the Arizona Cardinals tweet about Kyler Murray being their number, their QB1? Yes. 
Do you remember when they did that last time? Oh, yeah. It was Josh, it was Josh Rosen. Rosen. Do you remember when they did that with their coach, Cliff Kingsbury? I do not remember. They when, did that. They did that and with then Cliff. They, and then they fired him. Oh, Oh, so this feels like the kiss karma. of death here for yeah. Kyler Murray. Like if if it happens again, like let's say they trade Kyler Murray and they draft a quarterback in number four or they use Kyler Murray as a piece to move up or whatever the case may be. That feels like a little steep. But anyway, that would be the greatest kiss of death of all time. So if you see your picture as QB one, this is our head coach. Mm-hmm. That's my quarterback. <laughs> Guess what? You're toast. You, you, you better be you, finding a new house. I was going to say, put your ho- your house on the market uh, because, you know, sooner or later, you're getting that call that you're no longer a member of the Arizona Cardinals. Which may not be a bad thing the way that they are right now. Well, I don't know. We'll see if they're going to trend a little bit in the right direction and if it's a little bit positive. They, they had some, hey, I'll give them credit. They played hard last year. They, yeah, played, they hard. played hard because their quarterback willed them into games. No, they weren't very talented. Not, no, honestly, I don't think that's... The astronaut was really doing a number on keeping them away from getting that first. Josh Dobbs pick. was fun. Kyler Murray, when he returned, he was good. I like, think Kyler Murray, well. I think Kyler Murray is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the NFL. That, that's the most, that's the least surprising thing I've heard come out of your mouth. Why do you say that? Because I, you strike me as a guy that is not a Kyler fan. I'm not a Kyler fan. Yeah. You just, I, I'm not Kyler, surprised by Kyler that. Murray. When he runs, looks like a little kid running away from trouble. I'm not going to say what I think. What we have a joke, a running joke in our fantasy league about what he looks like when he runs. I can't say it because it's not appropriate for radio. I'll tell you mine off the air. I got one too. But it's, uh, it's yeah. But it's the most. He's like he's electric though. He is fun. He is fun to watch. He is electric. I also just in general. I I was trying to basically uh, pay a compliment to Jonathan Gannon for the job he he's done because especially after that disaster. Oh my god! The the video that they put out like him take flight on YouTube thing and. And, oh, and his first interaction with Kyler was filmed, and it was like the most awkward thing. It, and it just felt like, oh boy, they hired this guy who's a complete goof, right? A goofball. And instead, no, he was very good. And the, the good by the measure of they had no expectations and they were supposed to be really bad. They were competitive. Instead, they were competitive in and a lot be- of games. And they beat the Eagles. Yeah, but the Eagles were disastrous. They were that a disaster. Point. God, that uh, that defense was horrendous by that point in the season. Okay, so anyway, anyway, the off season brings with it, and I do want to get into the running backs. But after we had the conversation with Jim Monos yesterday about Justin Jefferson, uh, Vikings, the Vikings GM was asked about the idea of trading Justin Jefferson. That does not even crossed our mind. Good. So you were right. Good. Idiots on the app talking about the idea of trading Justin Jefferson. Now, I will eat my words if Justin Jefferson gets traded, but I find that to be highly unlikely. How many guys get traded that are essentially the best receiver in football at 24 years old? They get traded. It doesn't happen. Tyreek Hill was older. Mm-hmm. Devontae Adams was older. Mm-hmm. A.J. Brown was not the same player. Yep. These are, you are not comparing the same type of fruit here. It makes no sense. It makes zero sense whatsoever. And it doesn't matter which way you go at quarterback. No, it doesn't matter. Also, I mean, I don't know if you saw this. Oh, you did because I sent it, but... Kirk with the girls. Did you see oh, Kirk? Oh, I love it. Listen, I he's like campaigning so hard. He's like, I got to go back with my man, Jay Jettas. I got to go. I got to make sure I can. I- I'm fitting in. I'm I'm in. Justin Jefferson. Look what I did. I'm on board. I'm fully bought in. I want to be back. 
We are a great tandem together. Let's keep rolling. Run it back with the Minnesota Vikings. He, that's his campaign. He's campaigning to be re-signed by the Vikes. And the Vikes have a price, and I don't think that Kirk Cousins is going to be within that price range, honestly. I'd be, I got to be honest. I think I would be pretty shocked if he's not in a Vikings uniform. Oh, I think he's gone. Really? Yeah, Kirk Cousins is a guy who's maximized his money in his career. And Kirk Cousins has one deal left, probably. Like one, one guaranteed deal left. But you know, you know what, you know what gives me some pause. I, I think, in a weird way, in a weird roundabout way, the injury actually plays into his hand in terms of showing his true value oh, well, to the that, Vikings. Yeah, I, I and don't as a result, as a result, I think Minnesota will probably sit there and and they will contemplate. Okay, what options do we have if we don't bring him back? If we aren't able to keep him around, what does our next the next phase of our team look like with a different quarterback it, at the helm. It looks like probably a rookie QB. Because Which, when you look at the free agent market, but like, how beneficial is that, man? Like, is it? I, I well, here's, well, here's it the sales it pitch. Depends. It depends on what you want to do. Like, if you're going to trade up and you're going to try and get Drake May or if it's Jaden Daniels that, or maybe you sit where you are and you're very happy with. Bo Nix or you trade down and you get Bo Nix or you, you Michael Penix Jr. Like I think there's some value in there, especially <laughs> when you have that type of receiver in your building. Plus let's not forget they have one of the best receiving tight ends in their building too. Can I tell you a name that I, for whatever reason has always, always struck me as a Viking, like in terms of the, the, pool of draft prospects from this upcoming draft. Aaron Rodgers to follow into the same no, footsteps no, as Brett Favre. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. Completely off. We're talking about rookies, incoming rookie quarterbacks here. J.J. McCarthy. See, I am not, I, I don't like J.J. McCarthy. I'm, I but don't I'm saying, either. For whatever reason, I, for months now, it's been ingrained in my brain. Because you think he's like Kirk Cousins? I don't know. I really don't know. But every time I see J.J. McCarthy... I think Viking. I I I don't know what it is about him, uh, his skill set, his demeanor, his temperament. I, I don't know what it is. I really don't. But w- even watching him play at Michigan throughout the season, I've I've been looking at him and I'm just like, that guy screams Minnesota Viking for whatever reason. I also don't think re-signing Kirk, for example, Maddie would preclude them from drafting another quarterback. Just or, not in the first. Just round. Just not in the first round. Yeah. And and what's wrong with that? And maybe that ends up being a J.J. McCarthy that you can find a way to get. Although, I mean, everybody's, Jesus Christ, all these all these scouts, all these evaluators are talking him up like crazy that maybe he's going to, I mean. Lots of teams have him as QB2 on their board. Apparently, I find that He's really going to be the one, like, if we think about the draft, would not be shocked. The Thursday night of the draft, round one, we're all sitting there and we, there's QBs that are graded higher and mock drafts and rankings will suggest that he's lower in the on the pecking order. And all of a sudden, we're going to look and he's going to be one of the top QBs taken on the board. And we're all going to be scratching our head. I personally didn't see it. I'm like you where I'm, I said the same thing. I, I watched him extensively throughout his career at Michigan and I he was surrounded by a lot of good talent. And did he have to go and win games on on, uh, did they win a ton of games on the back of his arm, driving the bus for them? Not really. Not often, no. And and the other thing is, too, is in that offense that they ran, they ran the ball a lot. Oh, that, that's what that's what did it for him. Yeah. It was, it was he, when he first arrived, it's, I mean, Blake Corum was there the whole time, but it was Blake Corum and, oh, 
Hassan Haskins, who mm-hmm. ended up with the Titans, obviously. Yeah. And then this year, Donovan Edwards and really, Blake Corum. Really good. The yeah. best rushing offense in college football yeah. with a great offensive line. He so, didn't have, we don't, that, maybe that's the allure of him too, is that, well, we haven't really seen him be fully unleashed. Maybe that's what they're seeing. I don't know. I uh, Just fascinating. Producer Jeff Eisenparty sent this. So Seth Walker from ESPN predicted Russell Wilson to be the starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. Don't like that. At by, all. The, by the way, um, Sean Payton said, we haven't gotten any calls on Russ yet. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Stunning, Sean. He's, he's going to be a Walmart greeter. No kidding. You got no calls on him. Yeah, that's, maybe, it was, that's maybe you got no calls after the comments that he made about, you know, I want to win two in five years. Two what? You're not winning two Super Bowls, pal. No, not happening. Anyway, the running back market, which yeah. we've been trying to get to since yeah, yeah, yesterday. Sorry, let's, let's no, hit on okay. this a little we bit. We tried to get to since yesterday. <laughs> um, uh, it's bad hosting. Uh, so there's a lot of really good running backs out there. And, and, most of them will not be tagged. The only one that is kind of in question right now, because we do not know what's going to happen, although I think he's going to market, is Saquon Barkley. Yep. I just don't see a reason for the Giants to tag him. And somebody, and maybe, Azo, if you can look this up, I don't know if it's the case, but somebody told me that in his in the last deal he signed, basically the the verbiage in it was that he cannot be tagged this year after signing the deal that he did. I, I don't know if that's true, but anyway, part of the conversation here is there's a lot of good running backs that are available, mm-hmm. and this draft class is not necessarily the strongest in terms of running back depth. Yeah. So here's the names. Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, DeAndre Swift, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins is kind of the outlier because we've seen him have success, mm-hmm. but we've barely seen him on the field. Yeah. Um, and here's the teams that will be in the market. Like it does maybe feel like kind of a shuffling of the, the deck chairs, chargers, Ravens, Raiders, giants, Cowboys, Eagles. I think the Patriots will potentially be involved. Ooh. Cause that was a big workload for Ramondre Stevenson last year. Um, also he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year, I believe Texans. That's a landing spot, a very interesting one. Mm-hmm. I think the commanders are going to be interested in a running back because uh, Antonio Gibson's a free agent. The Vikings, the Packers, because mm-hmm. I don't think A.J. Sure. Dillon's going back. And I think the Carolina Panthers are going to be in the market for a running back as well. Even though they just spent money last offseason on Miles Sanders. But yes. yeah, I, I just think Miles Sanders was so... And, and again, we you could have predicted this. Oh, if you for look, sure. If you look at the numbers, Miles Sanders was never going to be that guy. Chuba Hubbard was a better running back for the Carolina Panthers last year. Yes, um, he and was. he's still kind of in the mix, but I do wonder about maybe cutting bait with Miles Sanders, seeing what's out there and giving your young quarterback something like a, a, a another good running back that you can lean on to take some of the pressure off of him. Now they also have to improve the offensive line in Carolina. But when you look at this market, to me, like especially with the cap going up, it feels like some of these guys are going to get. I'm not saying they're going to get like Christian McCaffrey money, but I, I feel like we're going to get some running backs that are going to get paid in the double digits per year out of this group. I hadn't fully considered the cap impl- implications, excuse me, but I think that's a good point you raise because this is probably the ideal time for them to actually hit the market and, and go this route. Especially with so many teams having we that just, availability. We just went through this entire running back sort of exodus last year, and the entire narrative throughout the the balance of the offseason was, uh, was about 
hey, the the teams are devaluing the position and nobody wants to pay these guys. I think they're very fortunate that it's a it's a cluster, a big group of these guys hitting the free agent market together and a lot of teams that are going to be in a position where they need running backs. I was I was thinking about this a little bit and I and, and I was I, I my my initial thought was, okay, if I was a GM, why would I go out and devote any meaningful financial capital and free agency to any of these guys? It's why teams aren't tagging these guys too. Yes. So I'm thinking, why would I do that? Because I, and I guess really what I think might be the saving grace for these guys this year specifically is that the, the draft doesn't, isn't, isn't loaded with running back talent. You can have four or five different guys that could end up being the top running back taken. There's Completely. no consensus. Number one, you could like, um, uh, Trey Benson is in that conversation yeah. from Florida, Florida state. state, Bucky Irving from Oregon is in that conversation. Um, there's a bunch. And then there's guys like Will Shipley and Blake Corum who were Correct. very effective in, in college, college that it may not translate to the next level. Although, you know, Blake Corum's getting drafted by the, the LA chargers, right? Like that's happening. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. But, but so he's a good example. I think actually, would you feel compelled to go out, spend a boatload of money on one of these marquee free agents who have pedigree history, um, a lot, and all these guys have been good in the NFL. Or would you prefer to take a chance on a Blake Corum that you can probably get in the third, fourth, fifth round? Who knows? Like in the middle rounds of the NFL draft. Yeah, you don't have to spend significant capital. And he's cheap, and you can take an, a chance, a flyer on a guy like that. To me, there's been a ton of success stories, right? Like Isaiah Pacheco's won back to back Super Bowls. He was a seventh round pick. Kyron Williams, you mentioned him yesterday. So good. Former fifth round pick. Yep. Might be the best running back in the NFL, not named Christian McCaffrey. That's how good he was last year. Rashad White was a third round pick. Ends up being one of the more prolific receiving backs in football uh, over the last couple of years. This past season was third in receptions among running backs. There are plenty of examples of different guys that have come sort of uh, out of nowhere that were afterthoughts in the draft that end up being valuable. It's a position that unfortunately the replacement level value is it's, it's easier to find replacement value at that position compared to others. So I don't know why I would feel compelled to go out and pay certainly like a Derrick Henry who's 30, but even Saquon who's had his history of injury issues. And I like Saquon, Yeah. but why would you want to go out there and say, I'm going to commit three years and a boatload of money, and I understand it's not guaranteed, but still signing that deal. Why? Yeah. I, Why? I, the team that I think is going to be, and we're going to take a break, but I think the team that's going to be very heavy in on these running backs that has lots of money to spend, and I feel like, and Show Ali, uh, host here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, threw this out there last week when I was on with him. Saquon Barkley to the Texans. Ooh. With that offense, yuck. Don't want to be in that division, I'll tell you that for free. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, more Leafs talk. And then uh, Alec Manoa made his return to the mound yesterday. Um, statistically, didn't look pretty. But there were some positives, or at least he'll tell you that there were some positives following that performance. Uh, all of that and more when we come back. This is the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.